0: Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Alrighty, we're going to get into our notes, so if you have your class handouts, Living as Witnesses, and we're moving on to point three of our complex outline. Pray, meet people, tell them about Jesus, right? It's that simple, right? This is why we all don't struggle with evangelism, and it's just super easy. Uh, Okay, a little bit of sarcasm there. It's a challenge, isn't it? It, it, It's difficult. It doesn't just happen the way we wish it would. And, And as simple as an outline like this is, pray, meet people, tell them about Jesus, Uh, It doesn't always just happen in our lives that way, the way we would want it to. So uh, our first week, we talked about prayer and the importance of prayer in the process of evangelism. So just a little review, if you've been with us, what are some of the things the Bible teaches us to pray about regarding evangelism? You remember? Two whole weeks ago. I know it's a long time, but... Yeah, Joan. Open doors. Good. Good. What else? Boldness. Boldness. Yep. Excellent. Others. Conversions, right? That somebody would actually become a Christian. Uh, we also talked about um, let's see clarity. In the words, we have the right words to say. Paul asked for that, so good. All right, then last week, uh, we talked about meeting people. And the first half we spent thinking about why it's so crucial that we meet people. Anybody want to summarize why is it important that we meet people with the goal of sharing the gospel? Do you remember any ideas related to what we talked about? I'll give you a clue. We have a job title from Jesus. Remember what it is? Ambassador. Ambassador. Yeah, we are ambassadors for Christ. And uh, because of what Christ has done for us, we see people differently now. They're not just their outward form. They're actually an eternal soul headed either to heaven or hell. And as an ambassador for Christ, uh, we're here to represent him, pleading, be reconciled to God. Right? It's our job. It's our job. Uh, and so it's crucial that we meet people. Second half of the class, we looked at Paul's life as an example for how he went about meeting people. He'd go to a new city. You remember what he would do next? Go to the synagogue. Yeah, over and over and over again. A few exceptions to that. But most of the time, he went to the synagogue and began preaching the gospel. And so we talked about in our lives the, the importance of finding a platform where you are regularly interacting with unbelievers. And uh, able to build relationship with the goal of sharing the gospel. Because if we just kind of just do life as it happens to us, uh, sometimes our circles just become more and more Christian only. And we don't end up interacting with a lot of unbelievers. But I, I just love how Paul sought them out. He went to them and uh, established that regular platform where he was interacting with them about the gospel truth. So we talked about trying to find something like that in our own lives, that platform to regularly be interacting with people, building relationship with the goal of sharing the gospel. All right, so that's been the last two weeks. This week we move to telling them about Jesus. And we're actually going to spend four weeks on this part of the outline because admittedly this might be the most complicated part for many of us. You know, what exactly do we tell them about Jesus? and how Say it. How do we know if it was effective? And when do we step back? And when do we lean in? And you know all these questions that can come up in telling people about Jesus. Um, so tonight we're going to think specifically about what it is that we need to tell uh, to tell people about Jesus. Um, so let me let me kind of create the question in your mind, or understand why this is an important question. So I'm just going to ask some thought questions for you. Feel free to answer out loud if you'd like to. So we believe in salvation by faith, correct? If somebody's saved, they believe. Uh, the question is, what exactly does a person need to believe in order to be saved? Okay, so for instance, if somebody tells you they believe in God, are they saved? If someone tells you they believe in Jesus... Are they saved? What if they tell you that they watch The Chosen and they believe everything they've seen on it is true? Are they saved? What about someone who says they believe that Jesus died and rose again? Are they saved? What about your Roman Catholic friend who says they believe Jesus died for their sins and rose again and they're trusting him for salvation? Are they saved? Hmm. So it gets complicated sometimes. What exactly does a person need to believe in order to be saved? I raise these questions not to confuse you. That's not my goal, but just to point out that how quickly in interaction with people we can start scratching our heads and going like, "Uh, that sounded really good, but what do they mean by it? And have they really trusted in Christ? Are they really born again? What does that mean? What do they need to believe actually?" So what is the message that we need to share? What is the truth that people need to believe? That's what we're going to try to dig into tonight. And hopefully you'll come away from this evening knowing very clearly and how you can succinctly answer the question, what does a person need to believe in order to be saved? So we're going to start with that very question, all right? So on the, uh, on the blank space at the bottom part of the backside there, here are two questions we can answer, all right? First question. Um, Let's see. Oh, here it is. Uh, if someone were to ask you to share the gospel in one sentence, how would you respond? So there's your first question. What's the gospel in one sentence? If somebody were to ask you to share the gospel with them in one sentence, how would you respond? So there's your first question. The gospel in one sentence. Second question If God asked you, why should I let you into heaven for eternity, how would you answer? Why should I let you into heaven for eternity, how would you answer? So that's question number two. Question one, what's the gospel in one sentence? Question two, God says, why should I let you into heaven for eternity, how would you answer? Okay, those are your two questions. I will not ask you to share your answers out loud the lesson and then look back at them at the end of the lesson and see if your answer changed at all or if you'd like to adjust it or make correction or whatever. So there'll be no intentional embarrassment uh, with this as we go through tonight. Okay. The gospel in one sentence, question one and question two, God says, why should I let you into heaven for eternity? How would you answer? All right. Everybody had enough time? Pretty much? You can keep writing while I talk. All right, here we go. So tell them about Jesus. First of all, this is the important starting place for us. The good news that God uses to save people is the gospel. We get this idea from chapter 1, verse 16. And so this is an important starting place for us. I will read this one. We will have, uh, I'll, I'll assign verses later in the lesson here, but Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Okay, so there's our answer to our question. Class dismissed for the night. What does a person have to believe to be saved? The gospel. The gospel is the power of God that saves people. Well, then I'll ask you a follow-up question so we can still have class tonight. What is the gospel, right? When Romans 1.16 says, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God, what is the gospel? Now, for instance, we have uh, four books of the New Testament that are titled, The Gospel of Matthew, The Gospel of Mark, The Gospel of Luke. So does a person have to believe the whole gospel of Matthew before they can become born again, right? Is that what it's talking about? Or is he referring to something else? What is this gospel that a person has to believe in order to be saved? Well, to answer that question, we're going to continue to learn from the Apostle Paul, who is very clear on the gospel. But we're going to a passage where his specific intent was to explain the gospel. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we often know this passage as the resurrection chapter because the Apostle Paul will, in the latter portion of the chapter, really talk a lot about the resurrection. It's awesome. Uh, But this first 11 verses covers the gospel. It covers the gospel. And so as we look at these verses, I hope we'll be able to come away with what I would call the essential gospel. What is the gospel? What does it mean? What is it what do we share with people what's that message that saves all right so we begin in verse 1 Paul says moreover brethren i declare to you the gospel which i preached to you okay so there's our first uh, bit of understanding Paul's intent in this passage is to declare the gospel moreover brethren i declare to you the gospel But let's make sure we're on the right track. Does he just mean, you know, the general good news of Jesus' life, or does he mean the gospel that saves? Well, let's see what he says next. Which I, number one, preached to you, which also you, number two, received, and in which you stand, here's the key part, beginning of verse two, by which also you are saved. So here... Paul's about to explain, to declare to them the saving gospel, that message that when a person believes it, they're saved. And that's exactly what happened in the lives of the Corinthian believers. Paul preached the gospel to them. They believed this message and they were saved. Okay. Uh, so we come to uh, verse two, where Paul explains that it's important that they hold fast to this gospel and uh, because if they drift to something else, it's a different gospel. It's a gospel that doesn't save. And it's it would be as if they had believed in vain. So that reminds us that only one gospel brings salvation. The gospel that the Apostle Paul's about to lay out for us is the only gospel message that brings salvation. Pretty cool to think about. Uh, the last thing Paul points out in verse three. He says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Now, that's the last important thing I want to point out to you before we get to the actual gospel itself. It's that Paul did not pick up this gospel. Okay? He didn't just come up with this cool idea and said, now this is what everybody needs to share. I came up with this. He says he received it from someone. Now, would a volunteer be willing to go to Galatians chapter 1 and read verses 11 and 12? There, Paul tells us where he received this gospel message. Galatians 1, 11 and 12. Who would be willing to read that for us? Aaron, thank you. So here, Paul explains in more detail where he received this gospel. He didn't make it up. It didn't even come from you know, another just general apostle or another lowly human. It came from Jesus Christ himself, this message of salvation that Paul was to preach that when people believed this gospel, they would be saved. All right, now let's get into the good stuff where Paul lays out that message, that truth that a person would need to believe in order to be saved. Here he's going to review what I call the essential gospel, the clearest, uh, most succinct explanation of the gospel uh, that we find in Scripture. Gospel truth number one, Christ died for our sins. You see it there in verse three. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, as I read these verses, um, here's what I want you to notice. The Apostle Paul uses a structure, okay? He begins with a gospel truth, and then he shares the foundation to that truth. And he uses a phrase like, according to, right? So it's kind of him, it's like, it's like a citation, you know, if you were writing a paper, and, you know, here's, here's the source that I'm quoting to prove to you that this is true. So according to, yada, yada, yada. So gospel truth, according to, and then he shares a visible proof, right so here's his proposition according to such and such and then a visible proof like that humans could see and acknowledge ah it actually happened okay so watch for that as we read verse 3 for i delivered to you first of all that which i also received that christ died for our sins gospel truth according to the scriptures there's his foundation he's quoting the quoting the bible And that he was buried. There's the visible proof that he was dead. Okay, then we have our next truth. And that he rose again the third day. According to the scriptures, there's our foundation. And then finally, that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. Visible proof. Okay, so there's your structure. I'll put it up on the screen so you can track it down in your notes. Gospel truth, foundation, visible proof. And he does that twice. Okay? This happened according to the Scriptures. Now, that phrase Paul is using to show that what Jesus did was not a surprise to God. In fact, uh, the Scriptures predicted uh, exactly what Jesus would do, that he would die and he would rise again. And in his death and resurrection, he fulfilled uh, dozens of Old Testament prophecies. Um, down to the, the, the moist sponge of vinegar that he drank you know, while he was up on the cross. I mean, little details like that that God had prophesied in advance about his death and resurrection. So he died for our sins according to the scriptures. The proof? He was buried. Next proposition. He rose again from the dead the third day. Foundation? According to the scriptures, just as, as was predicted. The proof, he was seen. This one, the proof actually lasts all the way down to verse 8. <laughs> he was seen by Cephas, and then by the Twelve, and then he was seen by James. He was seen by 500 brethren at once. Uh, last of all, Paul says he was seen by me in verse 8 there. Okay, So you begin to see the structure that Paul uses here to describe the gospel. Um. So, if we were to boil this down to the two gospel truths, right? Take away the according to the scripture, take away the visible proof, which is important, is helpful, that he was buried and that people saw him. And then you boil that all down and you get the, the crucial part of the gospel there. You have Christ died for our sins and rose again. Okay? So, that's what I would propose to you the essential gospel. Christ died for our sins. And rose again. Now, packed into that little statement, you have all sorts of rich truth. First of all, Christ died. Right? He truly—he was a man. He lived, and he truly died. And again, the burial proves that. But then you have the phrase "for our sins," which is also crucial because then we get the idea of his substitution for us. He died in our place as payment for our sins. He died for our sins, but he didn't stay dead, did he? The final crucial piece of that gospel truth is that he rose again from the grave, completing his work on the cross, sealing the deal, so to speak, guaranteeing our future resurrection as well. Okay, So that's uh, what I think the Apostle Paul is teaching as the the essential gospel. That body of truth that a person needs to believe in order to be saved, in order to uh, be born again. But if you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you wouldn't necessarily just walk up to them and say, Christ died for our sins and rose again. Believe it. Believe it. And then walk away. Right? I mean, that's not a great what we could call a gospel presentation, okay? Because the gospel lives in a context, right? Now, this is the succinct gospel message. Christ died for our sins and rose again. But in evangelism, we probably want to share more than that, all right? So here's what I'm going to call the gospel message or the essential message that you might want to share with somebody. And this begins, again, in... Romans chapter 1. And so if you would, we'll turn back to Romans. Because actually what the Apostle Paul does in Romans chapter 1 through 3, ends onward, it continues through the book of Romans, but 1 through 3, he just unfolds what I would call the gospel message. I'm going to track along with his outline. You'll be familiar with this. I, I try to say this a lot, but it's I didn't make it right here from Paul bad news good news choice okay so he begins with the bad news Romans chapter 1 verse 18 it starts with the words for the wrath of god i mean we're just he we just like dives right into the bad news here <laughs> for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness now, Paul will go on and, and talk more about exactly how that happened. How We began to worship creation rather than our creator. How we began to turn away from him, give ourselves over to our passions and desires rather than pleasing the Lord, and so on and so forth. Um, and so this section of Romans 8, twenty-five is um, a clear and weighty description of the bad news chapter 2, he that the Jews reading this letter understand the bad news as well. That, that Paul's not just pointing his finger at the Gentiles who don't know God, but that the Jews have sinned as well. And so he does that in chapter 2. So that's also helpful for the bad news as well. So I, My intention was not to skip that. Uh, but another really clear section comes in chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. And there you see the Apostle Paul uh, Quoting uh, the Psalms, I believe it is, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who God. Psalm 14. Uh, and so again, those are helpful for this reminder of the bad news that we have sinned against God. So if we were to summarize it, we could say this. Every person has sinned against their holy creator and is condemned to eternal punishment. Every person has sinned against their holy creator and is condemned to eternal punishment. Romans 3:19 says it clearly. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's the bad news. We're all guilty before God. Now some of you are familiar with the Romans road uh, yeah, I do have that up there. So in the bad news section, this—if you like using the Romans row—that's where you might turn to Romans three twenty-three and the first half of Romans six twenty-three. Romans three twenty-three says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." And then Romans six twenty-three, the first half says, "The wages of sin is death." Okay, so again, another succinct way to describe the bad news. Um, as we think about these verses, there seem to be a few important pieces of the puzzle. First of all, that all have sinned, uh, so we all fall short of the Lord. It's a problem that every human faces. Secondly, we fall short of God's glory. Sometimes people think that just enough good works you know, will kind of do it for them, But that's where Romans 3.23 is really helpful. The standard of that which we're falling short of is God's glory. Will I ever by my good works attain to God's glory? Nope. Uh, And so that's helpful. And then thirdly, the wages of that sin is death. Now, Romans 6.23 doesn't explain it. Paul breaks it down. Uh, in Romans 3 and in some other passages. But that death is separation from God. It's not just the end of life on earth. It's, it's eternal torment, eternal separation from God. Uh, so those are what I would describe as the three important parts of the bad news, that God is our creator and is infinitely holy. We fall short of his perfect righteousness and come under his wrath and eternal punishment. Secondly, man, that we are guilty before God because of our inherited guilt, our sin nature from Adam, and because of our own personal acts of sin. So God's infinitely holy. Our sin deserves infinite punishment. And that leads to the third one, death. The punishment for sin is eternal separation from God and torment in the lake of fire. And you have at the bottom of that section some other passages that you can go to for help as well. Okay, So that's a summary of the bad news. Basically, our, our Creator is holy. He has standards for us as His creatures. We've fallen short of His perfect standards. And the punishment for that is eternal death. Any questions on the bad news, the first part of our gospel message tonight? Well, that's good news. All right, we'll go on to the next part, the good news. If you're using the Romans road, it's kind of fun because Romans 6.23 provides a nice transition right into the good news. That's the one that says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So uh, Romans 6.23 kind of makes that turn for us right into the good news. Now, the good news in Paul's gospel outline is laid out in Romans 3. That's where he begins with the good news. So in verses 19 and 20 of Romans 3, we had this heavy bad news. It's where we left the whole world guilty before God and that we can't be justified by the law, verse 20. But then the turn in verse 21, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, So here comes the good news in Romans 3, 21 through 26. Now, we could summarize the good news as the essential gospel like we did earlier, right? Christ died for our sins and rose again. Uh, Here in Romans 3, there's a few other pieces added to the puzzle, which is just extremely helpful. So we've put it this way, Jesus paid for the sins of all people by dying on the cross in our place, fully satisfying God's wrath and offering God's righteousness to those who believe. He completed his work by rising from the dead. Okay? So that's a summary of the good news. In Romans 3, Paul's emphasis is on justification by faith. And so in your notes, I just wanted to clarify what justification by faith is, because that's an extremely important part of the gospel and tends to be especially helpful if you're interacting with uh, someone who comes from a more Catholic background. Um, And could use terminology with you. They they could say to you, I believe Jesus died and rose again. I use this as an example at the beginning. They might even say to you, I've received Jesus as my Savior. Uh, And so then you're kind of scratching your head going, well, maybe they are saved. I'm not really sure. Justification by faith will really clarify things uh, between you and them regarding the gospel and and, and whether or not they're saved. Uh, So let's talk briefly about justification by faith. Justification by faith means that we are declared righteous when we believe the gospel. Okay? In these verses, the Apostle Paul says that the righteousness of God is now available in a different way. Not by law keeping, but by faith. He says in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But notice the good news of verse 24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So now we can be declared righteous freely because of what Jesus Christ has done, simply by faith. Verse 25, God set him forth, Jesus, as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's just a really fun gospel passage. you got to study that and and just enjoy it uh, sometime on your free time. But there are two aspects to justification that are important. Number one, we are cleansed. Jesus' blood is our propitiation, the wrath-removing sacrifice, so that God can cleanse us of our sins. His, his wrath is no longer upon us for our sins. But as you see on your little line underneath this section, to the left you have infinite guilt. Okay, that's where we were because of our sin. Infinite guilt, you say, I haven't committed infinite sins. Ah, sinned against an infinitely holy God, right? And so the offense against an infinitely holy God is infinite. So there we were with infinite guilt. But the first part of justification, the cleansing, brings us to that middle spot, the blank slate. God has wiped away our sins and uh, paid for them through his son, Jesus Christ. But that's not the end of justification. We're also made righteous. That's where Jesus gives us his divine righteousness. We're we're dressed in. In his perfect righteousness. So then our blank slate is filled with perfect, infinite righteousness. So we move not just from the left of the page to the middle of the page, we move all the way to the infinite right side of the page, or you know, wherever that is, off the page somewhere, um, with God's infinite righteousness. Now, here's where justification is really helpful if you're sharing the gospel with somebody who comes from a Catholic background. Because they actually don't believe that we have received that perfect righteousness. Uh, they believe that Jesus has paid for our sins. They believe in the left half and given us the blank slate. Now it's on us to do enough good works so that we can get out of you know, purgatory in a good amount of time. And so we're still in the process of gaining merit, gaining righteousness from God. And so things like their sacraments are ways that we gain merit. So taking the Eucharist, we call that communion. Uh, but there they literally believe they receive Christ when they receive the, the bread and the juice. And they receive more of Christ's righteousness when they do that. More merit from Christ. So they're earning a little bit more of his righteousness. Okay? So that's where it becomes really helpful to understand justification by faith when sharing the gospel with somebody from a Catholic background. Uh, Because we believe we've received all of that righteousness when we're justified by faith. Whereas a Catholic still believes they're in the process of receiving that righteousness. And that's why many Catholics uh, live with a lot of unsurety about what will happen to them when they die. Because they don't know if they've gotten enough righteousness yet. Okay? Um, So, gospel truth is really fun to share with them. Because it's super encouraging. Actually, by faith, have all of the righteousness of Christ. Pretty cool stuff. Okay. Some other passages that are helpful in sharing the good news are listed there. Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23, 1 Timothy 1.15, Hebrews 10.12, and so forth. We won't read all of those or, or, or go to all of those tonight. Any questions on the good news? All right, let's review our gospel message so far. We start with what? The Bad news. And then we move to the good news. Wow, you guys are doing great. Hopefully it's not too difficult. Then we come to the third part, which is that a person needs to make a choice. A person needs to make a choice. Again, we could go back to Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes There's a choice there. They make the choice to believe. And this is different than just, you know, hearing something and kind of saying to ourselves, yeah, that could be. Yeah, I think, actually, I think that probably happened, right? It's not just mental assent to the fact that Jesus died and rose again. We understand that saving faith is more than that. So, We need to think through the fact that every person must respond to this news. And those who believe in, and that's a key preposition, those who believe in this message about Jesus receive salvation. So we're not just believing somebody's testimony. Like, you think that's true? Well, yeah, I think it probably is. I believe that's true. Know, it's not just believing that something is true, I'm believing in that something. And the preposition in is helpful, and I don't want to get too, you know, uh, too many requirements here about how we say things, but it implies that there's a sense of dependence upon the gospel message. Okay? Saving faith doesn't merely agree that the gospel is true, saving faith depends on the gospel for salvation, Right? It's one thing to say, yeah, I think that's true. I think Christ did die for our sins and rise again. It's a different thing to say, I need that truth. I mean, that's, that's my only salvation. I'm trusting in Jesus' work on the cross to save me, right? Uh, the illustration that's often used, which is slightly unfair because angels are not redeemed at all anyway, but in James, he references the demons and say, oh, you say you believe in God? James almost sarcastically says something like, well, that's good. Even the demons believe and they tremble. So a person could actually believe that all this is true and remain opposed to God. That's what the demons do. Now again, it's slightly unfair because redemption's not for them anyway, right? But it just proves the fact that we could say we believe something and be opposed to God at the same time. That's not saving faith. Saving faith receives the gospel as my salvation. I'm depending on this truth to save me. Um, And so I think that's a helpful clarification for us about that choice. It's not just mental assent that says, yeah, that probably happened. But that, oh, I'm so glad that happened because that's my salvation. That's my salvation. Um, We're going to talk more about the choice next week in our lesson Uh, When we talk about conversion, how is a person converted? Uh, Because uh, it's this part of salvation that we actually can't do. It's when an eternal soul is transitioned from uh, hell and the captivity of Satan to heaven and God's people. Right? I can't do that in somebody. Uh, I can share the gospel with them, but how in the world are they actually converted? So we're going to look at that. And what part do we have to play in that? And uh, what exactly, what kind of a choice does a person have to make? What is saving faith, right? We're going to try to answer that question in more detail. Ooh, I said next week, uh, two weeks. We will not be meeting next Wednesday night between, uh, between Christmas and New Year. So the 27th will not be here. Two weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll try to answer those questions. You have some other passages there uh, of Scripture that emphasize that choice, that faith. John one twelve, John three fourteen and fifteen, John three thirty six, Acts sixteen thirty one, Romans three twenty two, three 3.23-25, Romans 5.1, Ephesians two eight through ten. All of those emphasize choice to believe in Jesus for salvation. Any questions on the choice part of the gospel message? Yeah, so, I mean, best, uh, the best thing I could tell you there would just be using some examples from Scripture. So, for instance, Acts 16, uh, the Philippian jailer, it's just a very clear interaction. He says to them, what must I do to be saved? And, and the, Paul and Silas respond, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And so there's no, you have to go to your priest. You have to, you know, there's none of that. It's just right there in the moment and we watch it, kind of watch it happen, which is really fun. So, I, I mean, that could be, any other ideas for Michael in in helping somebody um, somebody's working with understand they don't need to go to their priest in order to experience this salvation? Any other ideas? Yeah, um, so there, there are quite a few of them. Uh uh, yes, I mean, those, those would all work. Let me give you one more that's not on the page. Romans 4, 4 and 5. Mm-hmm. I'll just read those. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Verse 5, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And so there's just this immediacy to that. His faith is accounted for righteousness. It just happens right away. So. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll dig into that more next week. But saving faith is a faith that has changed the way it thinks about God and about my sin and about the way I'm living. All of those things. It's a repentant faith, isn't it? Yep. All right. So. Um, as you think about working with people and making this choice, uh, it's just helpful to let them know that this is a choice they need to make, right? So I've presented the bad news, the good news. Now, what are you going to do with this? And if you need to think about it, that's okay. I mean, sometimes we really just want the, the yes. We especially have to be careful with children um, because we can really easily talk them into, um, you know, saying, yep, I believe that. uh uh, and so giving them space to hey when you're ready to do this you just come you come and find me i'm you know we're not going to do it right now but when you're ready you come find me or whatever however you want to handle that as parents but um the goal is not to pressure people into doing this it needs to be something that god you know moves in their heart to make that choice but at the same time making it clear to them it's not just enough for them to hear the gospel message from me well yeah somebody told me that so i guess i'm good i don't know this is a personal choice you need to make. Are you going to trust Jesus as Savior? Um, and so just making it clear that they need to, they need to make that choice themselves. And uh, as much as you want them to, <laughs> it's, it's for them to make. And you're happy to help them with it. Okay, so let's look back at your answers to those questions. What is the gospel in one sentence? And why should God into heaven for eternity? How would you improve your? uh, Want to share if they would make any changes? Maybe you nailed it the first time. Maybe you think I'm wrong. That's great too. Uh, But anybody want to share any adjustments they would make? Yeah. um, Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Love it. It goes back to the old ABC admit, believe, choose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. All right. Very good. I want to close, as I have most weeks, by sharing some resource opportunities with you. Um, first is a book that I have found helpful many times. This is called Who is Jesus? It's by Greg Gilbert. And uh, it's, uh, it's written, it's encouraging to Christians, but it's also very respectful and conversant uh, for like skeptics or you know people who don 't believe in God, uh, he does a really good job of walking through just history it 's well cited uh, He talks about proof of the resurrection and then just just ends up explaining the gospel very clearly. so I have found this to be a really helpful resource it 's not enormous you know so it 's not like you 're handing somebody a, a massive textbook for them to read and figure out the gospel but uh, if you're looking for a, a medium-length thing to do with somebody, you know, read a chapter and discuss over coffee it could be a great way uh, to share the gospel. This is a helpful resource. I have um, fifteen copies or so in my office. So, um, if there's somebody that you're wanting to go through with this, uh, come talk to me, and I'd be happy to um, supply a copy for you. Um. This is another gospel presentation method uh, put together by Kevin Subra, who's a member of our church. He's currently interim pastoring. Would you two guys be willing to hand these out to anybody who wants one? Uh, and it uses your, your fingers. So it's like, you know, goodness, or God told you we are sinful. And kind of goes on from there. Uh, so maybe that's a helpful way for you to remember uh, the gospel as you share it with people. I don't know if you really want to do the hand motions when you're talking to them. Maybe it's just a way in your own head to remember it. That's up to you, I guess. Um, But I want to put that in your hands. Again, that's from Kevin Subra. So that's another way. Uh, Jennifer mentioned the ABC. um, So that's a classic. Admit you're a sinner, right? So there's the bad news. Believe in Jesus Christ. There's the good news. And then choose. To believe in Him and uh, or confess Jesus, or you know, there's a number of different ways those ABCs have come together, but um, but that can be a helpful way to remember it as well. Also in the back, we have lots of copies of these. Not only are they on the resource shelf, thank you, um, but they're also in the on the shelf in the hallway out there. This is a four part study of the gospel. And so in one of these packets there are uh, four um, little folded in half sheets of paper. Uh, So they're each one lesson. And uh, this is a shorter way to go through the gospel with somebody. So if they're interested or have questions about who Jesus is or what is the gospel or what is eternal life or any anything related to salvation, the gospel, all of that. Um, this can be a nice way to work through it with somebody. Um, I've enjoyed doing this with people. So, hey, let's meet for coffee, and we'll just walk through Lesson 1 together. And bring a, If you have a Bible, bring one with you, and we'll look up the answers together and just see what they say. It's um, so been fun to do. The other way you can do it is just send it with them and say, hey, you go through this on your own, and then we'll meet and talk about it, Okay. Um, so that's another way to use it, and both ways have worked and been helpful in uh, both leading people to Christ, as well as, in some cases, just helping a, a Christian really understand better the gospel and that they are saved, but know more about <laughs> what it all means and so forth. So uh, just a four-part series there that's available to you. Um, yeah, we also have um, John studies. They'd be similar to those, also in four parts, but it just stays in the Gospel of John. Um, it's good. Yep, so that's available as well. Um, yeah, Stranger on the Road to Emmaus is is a, a longer, really solid treatment. The challenge I've had with that one is getting someone to stick with me through the whole book, because uh, it's it's big and hefty, but... Very good, very good resource. Um, And there's another one back there called The Exchange, uh, which is built off of uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And that exchange, uh, he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so it walks through uh, the gospel in that book as well. So those are some resources we have available. If you uh, want to use that in sharing the gospel with somebody, sometimes that's nice is instead of having to come it all, up with it all yourself, you can just go to somebody and say, well, hey, let's look at what the Word says together and let that speak to it, and I'll answer questions as we go. Sometimes that's... Any other helpful resources that you guys have used or encountered that you want to share tonight? Yeah, Dave. Mm-hmm. Yep, thank you. All right, so uh, in two weeks, uh, next year, oh my goodness. Whew. Yeah, in two weeks, we will uh, dig into more of that choice. What is saving faith? How is a person converted? Uh, bring up repentance, like you were talking about, uh, and uh, dive into some of that. So hopefully that will be helpful to you when we get there. But uh, we'll go ahead and break up into our prayer group. And I encourage you, just as we learned in week one of this class, praying about evangelism is really important. So you might share with your group people that you're praying for, for open doors and gospel opportunities. Okay, you are dismissed thanks for listening for more resources visit our website mbcgrimes.org may the word of Christ dwell in you richly and to God be the glory